Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. It's a pretty exciting time for us in the life of our church. We've been sharing over the last few weeks that this coming Sunday we will be. Uh, receiving our first ever miracle offering. Come on. I'm not sure if that's what we're going to call it moving on, but it sounded like a good name for this time because we do need a bit of a miracle. We are going to be uh, receiving this offering, all of us together, um, giving our most generous and sacrificial gift to the Lord towards the end of Him. Uh, This being the seed of moving us into a Uh, a facility of our own, which would be very exciting. And uh, really, we're just responding to prophetic promise that's been spoken over us and that uh, even though in this season we are still uh, relatively small in number, God wants to do a miracle and uh, move us into the place that we're going to be into the next season. So Martin, who heads up our business pillar, he's going to be bringing the word next week and talking a bit about how we're going to be approaching this. And then the following week, I'll be preaching again and uh, talk a little bit more about the why and um, just whatever God else God wants to say to us. But uh, let's all be praying. Let's all be asking God, what does it look like? What, what uh, is he calling us to, to give into this? So last week I preached a message called uh, the spirit of faith. If you missed that, then I would encourage you to check out the, uh, the podcast. Um, Today, we're going to be continuing in this theme of faith, especially as it relates to how we finished off last week, which was really talking about how faith is revealed through the words that come out of our mouth. Uh, The text we looked at last week, one of the things that Paul says there in in that passage, 2 Corinthians 4, says that we believe, therefore we speak. So there's a connection between our faith, which is in our heart, and our words that come out of our mouth. So we're going to explore that a little bit more. Uh, We'll look at two passages. We'll put them on the screen for you. The first one is a proverb of King Solomon, one we all probably know and have heard. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That verse is short enough. We can just read it again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Solomon is indicating that there's maybe more power in our words than we actually realize. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement that life and death is in the power of our words. And then he exhorts us to love it, to recognize it, to embrace it, to be aware of it, to to harness that power. And if we will do that, then we'll eat its fruits. There'll be a good outcome for us. Now let's look at James in the context of what Solomon says. James chapter 3, he's going to give us some metaphors highlighting the power of our words. We'll look a little deeper into those. James 3 Beginning in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. You want to be perfect? Just don't stumble in what you say. Able also to bridle his whole body. And then he's going to begin to illustrate. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Three illustrations there. Three small things that have very, very significant power. Uh, all really metaphors for how the tongue, our words, are much more powerful than we realize. I want to talk about uh, the power of our words today. Father, we, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, we thank you that as we begin to walk with you, as we follow you, Jesus, you begin to give us the secrets of your kingdom. You give us insight into the way that things work. Lord, thank you that we don't have to go to any kind of self-help seminar uh, or workshop. We come in here to your presence and you begin to speak to us about what it is that, that causes us to rise above, that causes us to live the life that you've called us to live. And Lord, we recognize that there's death in the power of the tongue. Uh, we, we receive that as a warning, uh, but we also recognize, Lord, that there's life in the power of the tongue. And Lord, would you help us to, uh, not to, to be afraid, not to be fearful of our words, but really to recognize that, Father, as new creations, we, Lord, we can harness this power. So help us. We need you to speak so clearly. Holy Spirit, it's all up to you today. Make truth known. Reveal it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we probably all at some point in our lives, probably as children, have used the, that phrase. Uh, you probably heard it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, probably said that in response to someone saying something mean to you. Anybody ever said that before? I know I, I did it when I was a kid. The problem with that statement is that it's just not true. In fact, I've had physical injuries that have healed quicker than the emotional pain and the emotional injuries of words that have been spoken over me and probably even words that I spoke over myself at one time. I remember one of the darkest words that I ever spoke over myself I was, uh, I told my friend, I, this was, I was so immersed in this, the, the, the wannabe neo hippie drug culture of the mid night, uh, mid nineties. I said to my friend once, I said, on the day that I die, I will have smoked a joint. I mean, how's that for a curse speaking over your life? Thankfully, God set me free from that dark curse that I spoke. Uh, but words are much more powerful than we realize, and, and negative words can have significant power in our lives. Before we moved here to Perth, uh, we had this business mentoring property investors and uh, did this business for seven years. And towards the end of that season, I brought kind of like this last group that I into this mentoring program, and they pay a lot of money to do this. 
And I would start out the year uh, that, that time doing like a big group webinar, which I did and um, had like 60 people on this, this online webinar, right? And I, I'm, this is my opportunity to introduce myself and inspire them towards the rest of the year and just kind of give them a little taste of what it's gonna be like. And so, and I thought, well, I'll use this as an opportunity as well to sow some biblical wisdom. So I, I gave a little talk on this webinar on uh, the wisdom of Solomon, the, the wealth creation wisdom of Solomon, the richest man to have ever lived. And so I'm going through this and, and man, the feedback was great. People were like showing so much love. This is awesome. I'm getting so much out of this. And I was asking them for interaction and feedback along the way. And, you know, lots of encouragement, like everybody, so much encouragement. But there was this one lady and she started being really mean. And she's leaving these comments, you know, like in this, in this stream of, of all these chats. And she's like, saying, I, like, I can't believe I paid good money for this. And here I am, I'm trying to give my best, you know, and there's some encouragement. There's this lace and this, then, then a couple of minutes, she's like, this is one of the most detritus talks, one of the most trite talks I've ever heard on investing ever in my life. And I'm starting to feel it. It's like, this is going, this is going deep. And then another something like, you know, am I, are we just expect more of this rubbish? And so I, I just press through and I keep adding value to all these people. And uh, I get in my car and I'm driving home. And do you know what all I could think about the whole way home? I mean, there were 60 people on there that were loving it, getting heaps out of it. But all I could think about was what? The one woman, the one mean lady who was speaking curses over me and over the, the, what I was saying. And uh, turns out I, I, I did a little investigation we ended up kicking her out of the program and giving her money back. She was actually drunk on this. She was sipping wine on the uh, on this webinar. So we gave her the boot. Um, <laughs> but it was amazing how this seemingly insignificant drunk woman's comments could affect me so deeply. It's the power of words. It highlights how uh, the reality that, you know, our, our words that we speak and even negative words that are spoken over us have significant power to tear other people down. And I would say that to a degree, those words, because of what we already battle in our soul, tend to be more challenging to overcome uh, than we realize. So like you think about if someone speaks something like, I don't know, evil about you or about the way that you look. Think about how that lodges in your soul. And you could hear the opposite of that 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, but it just becomes hard, difficult to get that barb out of that one negative word. Neuroscientists have proven that negative words literally release stress and anxiety inducing hormones in the brain. Uh, they not only cause immediate situational stress, but they tend to uh, contribute to patterns of long-term anxiety. On the other hand, there were, uh, there were two neuroscientists from Thomas Jefferson University, and they found in a study that uh, speaking positive words over oneself can literally change a person's perception of reality. It begins to reshape how they see the world and and reshape how they view themselves. These are neuroscientists. They found that when repeatedly speaking positive words over ourselves, uh, 
we literally begin to form new neural pathways in the brain. And so we have this power available to us of our own words to begin to negate and undo the negative words that have been spoken over us. Solomon James said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And so it's absolutely critical for us to understand this power and begin to harness this power. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple things that we've got to understand to really harness the power of our words. And as it says here on the screen, the first thing we have to recognize is that our words are much more powerful than we realize. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of illustrations here that uh, James gives us on just how powerful our words are. And the first one is the tongue being like bits in the mouths of horses. When I was uh, 13 years old, I had a horse named Rocky. We had, a bunch, we had several horses. In fact, it was my job to clean out the barn. And I had to clean out all the horse poo out of the barn every day. My mom would drive me up to the barn, I have to clean out. Uh, but it was good, learned a bit of work ethic in that season of my life. But I was always amazed at how I was like 13 years old and how I could control this huge beast. I could get on its back and I could make it go wherever I wanted it to go. This thing was much more powerful than me. Uh, it was much larger than me. Uh, but I could control it. And the reason why I could control it was because of this bit that was in its mouth. Without a bit in the horse's mouth, it's not particularly safe to get on the back of a horse. But when there's a bit in its mouth and it's been trained by that bit, then uh, you can direct that horse wherever you want it to go. So the bit is that little steel rod that rests on the tongue uh, of the mouth and it's connected to this harness with these reins that go that you hold on to right and so the the bit in the mouth is so uncomfortable and and it kind of pulls the, their head around and they, it, they they learn to go in that direction that their head is pulled and you're able to pull the head and direct it by this bit that's in the mouth now it be, it's relatively uncomfortable and so they work out that even just feeling the rain moving against the neck they know, oh, they're, it, they're about, they want me to go this way. Okay, so I'm going to do that before I feel this, this discomfort in my mouth. So you can get this strong, powerful horse to obey you just through this, with this little metal rod in its mouth. And so James is saying that this small part of us, the tongue, has the power to get the rest of our unruly, beast-like self to obey what we want it to obey. Do you ever feel like there is a, a, a part of you that is sometimes a little bit out of control? Do you ever do something and think you feel bad about it afterwards? Am I the only one that I recognize that there's this part of me that sometimes causes me to do things that I don't want to do? In scripture, this is revealed to us as the flesh or in the New Living Translation, 
uh, it's translated sinful nature. Now, that's not the best translation, I don't think, because we have a new nature in Christ. We no longer have, I would say, a sinful nature, but it's helpful to recognize that there's a part of us uh, that is unruly, that is animalistic, that wants to go against what the Spirit wants. And so how do we control that part of us? Through the power of our tongue. We have to recognize the power of our words, and this is crucial in our sanctification and our becoming more like Christ. We'll go into that more in a bit, but the, the next thing James says is that the tongue is like a very small rudder that guides a very large ship. And so the rudder is this little thing in the back of the ship, uh, back of a boat, that it's very small in comparison to the rest of the boat, but by turning it, it directs this large boat, this large floating vessel, uh, wherever the pilot desires for it to go. So a small rudder can steer a huge ship regardless of the storms, regardless of strong winds. This little rudder makes the ship go wherever the pilot wants it to go. And so again, James is challenging us to recognize that this small part of us, the tongue, is like the rudder of a ship. Not only is there a force inside of us, but there are external forces around us. There are winds and storms of life that want to try to blow us off course and direct us in a different direction. And it's the rudder of the ship that keeps it going in the right direction. The rudder is what? It's the tongue. The words that we speak out of our mouths determine the, the direction that we go in. James is saying that our words determine our destination, or we could say our words determine our destiny, where we end up. So we are a product today of the words that we've spoken over ourselves and over our future. All right. And so if we want to be in a different place than we are right now, we've got to begin to consider, well, what are the words that I've spoken that have gotten me to this place? And what are the words that I need to begin to start speaking to get to the place that I want to go to. Why does James go to so much effort trying to get us to understand the power of our words? Because uh, if we fail to recognize this power and we just let whatever comes out of our mouth come, comes out, I mean, I don't know about you, but if when I get a little careless with my words, it's not really the best thing that comes out, right? If I stop being, you know, the Proverbs talk a lot about discretion and how a person who says a lot of words tends to sin <laughs> with their words. You know, it's because th there's, there's this, this tendency, if we're not careful to, you know, these, these words of death that can come out of us. And so some common uh, confessions we may uh, have heard or spoken over ourselves, man, I always feel so exhausted. I'm all, I, why am I always broke? I never have any money. I never have enough money. I, I, I'm, I, tell, I am the most depressed and most anxious person in the world. Or right, this one. This is one. Uh, well, I won't expose my. Well, I already did. <laughs> Sorry. We were talking about it this week, so it's all right. Early in our marriage, Liz would be like, "My head is killing me." Really? Is it killing you? Is your head killing you? She used to get so mad when I say that. Is your head really killing you right now? She hated that. My husband is so lazy. 
Why do I always struggle to get along with other people? See, why do we do this? Most people think that when we speak words like this, that we are making statements about the reality of our past. And that's true, we might be doing that, but if the tongue is like the rudder of a ship, what are we actually doing? We are speaking a prophecy over our future. We are making a declaration. We, we are dictating the direction that we are going in. We are setting our course in a particular direction. And so, again, if we want to end up at a different place than we are now, then we need to begin to shift our confession. Our words are taking us someplace. Third illustration he gives us. The tongue is like a small fire that creates a huge blaze. Again, something that seems really small. Now, what's the greatest enemy to the firefighter when trying to put out the, the big forest fires on the really hot and dry day? What's the greatest in enemy? It's those little embers, right, that float up and go land a few kilometers away. And what happens? This little tiny ember, just this, this glowing little piece of wood causes another fire, which spreads and grows. And so, again, he's saying our words are more powerful than we realize. You might think you're just speaking something that has very little insignificance, but is actually going to grow and spread and, and have a much, significant, much more significant impact in your life than you realize. And remember, it's not just death. Now, James is really highlighting uh, in the context here more of a negative perspective uh, on how we tend to sin with our tongue. But remember what Solomon says, it's not just death that's in the power of the tongue, it's life. And Solomon says, those who love it will eat its fruits. So we need to recognize the significance of the power of our words, much more powerful than we might have realized, and begin to harness that power. How do we do that? Well, we have to recognize, second, that words just simply reveal what's already in the heart. Jesus said this, he said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Whatever is more abundant in your heart, whatever your heart believes is what will inevitably work its way out of your mouth. It just oozes out. It just comes out. You can't help it. You are going to get out of your mouth whatever is being sown, put into the heart. And so don't be surprised if you feel fearful after watching a horror movie, right? Don't be surprised by that because whatever you sow in the heart is going to produce something inside. All right? There's, I mean, we, you know, in the culture around us, the death that we hear spoken, where does that come from? The death that's being sown in the already dead heart. Don't be surprised when you watch a feral reality show about people hooking up that you have some thoughts that you shouldn't have, right? Whatever we sow into the heart is going to come into us and 
affect us. So let me let you in on a little secret. We have the power to decide what we are going to allow into our hearts. We can sow the right things into our hearts so that the right words, the words of life come out of our mouths so that we are directed in the right direction. This is what God teaches Joshua. We see this in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. We, we start to see the little, the, the positive feedback loop that starts to happen. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. This book of the law shall not depart from your what? From your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. You know that Greek, uh, sorry, the Hebrew word here, meditate, can also be translated to declare or to mutter. I don't know if you've ever caught yourself like, like meditating or like, like talking to yourself. Like, I was, you know, you're talking to yourself, you're like, well, I was just talking to myself. <laughs> Hope nobody heard me or nobody's, you know, or like you're in the car and you're like talking to yourself, you're like looking around. Did anybody just see me talking to myself? I hold up the phone. No, I'm just on the phone right now. It's all good. Um, but what are we doing when we're talking to ourselves? It's meditation. This is how we meditate. This is how we, we muse over. It's we, we, we use our, uh, our tongue. And then we can, we can work backwards here and we can work out, well, okay, he says that the end result is prosperity and good success. Does anybody want that in their life? That sounds like life to me, right? That's not death, that's life. Prosperity, success, okay, these are good things. These are part of the covenant. These are covenant blessings. He's, he's encouraging, go after this, then you will make your way prosperous, all right? Let's not be, this is a good thing. But what do we have to do to get the prosperity and the success? Well, if we look at the middle part of the verse, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, written in the law. So if we obey the, the law, if we live out the law, if we practice, if we're obedient to God, the natural result of that, we produce good things with our life, prosperity, success. But how do we become a doer. You know, I, I, we often think like when I first came to Christ, it was like, man, I got to fix up my life. I got to get all my stuff sorted. And I, it was like, I was white knuckling it, man. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. And, <laughs> and I'm serious. I'm following Jesus. And I would like stumble with lust and I'd be like, all right, I'm fasting tomorrow and I'm going to punish myself for, for stumbling, for sinning lustfully. And uh, then I wouldn't eat all day and it would suck. It was awful. <laughs> and it felt, and, and I didn't feel close to God at all. And, and, uh, and it didn't help me. It actually increased those desires because what was I doing? I was trying in my own strength through my own works to be a doer. Whereas, what is God saying to Joshua? He says, just, just relax. Just begin to put into process this restful, peaceful system that I've given you. Just come to my word. And don't just let it passively wash over you. 
it's nice to read the Bible. It's nice to study the Bible. Uh, we can have these moments of communion with God. But he actually says here in this passage to meditate, to mutter, to declare, to harness the power of your words, begin to speak out of your mouth the word of God, and begin to change what's in the heart. See, just like from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, as we begin to speak the word of God, we begin to change what's in the heart. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so there's no better way to hear. It's great to hear the word. Faith can come when you hear it from me. But do you know how much more powerful it is? How, 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 how faith comes much more powerfully and how it goes much more deeply when you hear it from yourself, when you're the one declaring the word of God out of your mouth. And so this is why we should sometimes not just have quiet times, but have loud times confessing the word on the way to school. When the kids were, were young, we had these confessions we'd go through and I would confess it and then they'd repeat after me and I'd confess the next, next part. They'd repeat after me. We go through this whole confession. We just confess the word for 10 minutes straight on the way to, to school. Do you remember that, Soph? Confessing the word. Um, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I've been born again. I've been born again. I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've been, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We just keep going and going, and I, it just would flow out. You get in this, getting on a roll, and it's just happening. And there's some of the greatest Holy Spirit encounters I've had have just been through confessing the word and you can feel faith arising in your heart. And it's not just a special moment. It's more than that. You're being changed. The heart is changing. Faith is coming. You're, be, you're becoming a different person. The word of God is living and active sharper than a two-edged sword, divides between soul and spirit, judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It gets in there and it does surgery. It goes to work. It's alive. It's living. Life is coming into you. All right, so if the live, when the living word comes into the heart, what's going to come out of the mouth? And see, we, we, often, we often don't start confessing the word until we're in, we're in the middle of the desperate moment, right? Everybody ever done that? Oh, I'm broke. <laughs> I got no money. I need to confess the word. But how much better? That's like the, the, the guy that waits until the wind's blowing and the cyclone is on top of him before he starts boarding up the windows of the house. All right, let's, let's just recognize the storm's going to come. All right, there's going to be some difficulty in your future. Jesus prophesied it over you. He said, in the world, you're going to have trouble, but I've overcome the world. Hey, so there's going to be trouble. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be challenges. So it would be a smart thing to do what? Let's begin to prepare for that now. Let's begin to confess the word over our physical bodies, over our health. Confess the word over our finances. Confess the word over our identity. Because somebody's going to come and say something mean to you. You know, or you're going to go off and start a church and somebody's going to leave the church. And you're going to struggle with your identity. I'm giving you a little peek into my world, all right? <laughs> Troubles are going to come. Difficulties are going to come. Speak the word over your children, over your family. So many covenant promises. One of the most important jobs I have as a husband and a father is to speak words of life over 
my wife and over my children. Do you mind if I share our, uh, our little thing? Okay. Should have asked you beforehand. Sorry about that. <laughs> kind of putting you on the spot right now. Um, so I try to tell my wife frequently, you're beautiful. I try to tell my daughters that frequently, you're beautiful. Um, now, I got a head start on my daughters, right? Like from a young age, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. But Liv's had like 20 years of life before I came along, right? So there were some negative words spoken over you. And so I, I got a little, I, I, I would say all the time to Liv, you're beautiful, but it never seemed to get in there. And then I realized, wait a minute, it's not enough for me to say it, she needs to say it. And so we had this little thing. I couldn't get her to do it every time, all right? Depend on how she was feeling that particular day, right? But, but every time I say, you're beautiful, she would respond, have to respond with. I know I'm beautiful, thank you. Why? Because it's so much more powerful when we speak out of our own mouth what the reality is. It doesn't get down into the spirit, into the heart. We don't really start to believe it when we just hear it. I mean, we, you know, we got to hear it a lot of times, but you know, like our own confession, your own, I mean, ladies, look in the mirror, just do it every day. You are beautiful. Man, I am so beautiful. Look at me. I am beautiful. That's what we do, fellas, right? Like, <laughs> there's so much I want to say right now, but I'm not going to. <laughs> what reshapes the neural pathway is when we speak it, when we meditate on it, when we mutter it. All right, let's wrap up. Third thing we need to understand Words release faith and make God's will a reality on earth. Words release faith. If we go back to the very beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 1, how did everything we see around us come into being? God spoke it into being. God said, let there be light. There was. Every time he's creating, let there be, let there be, let there be. He's declaring it into existence he could have just pointed he could have just thought it he could have waved a wand he could have done all these things he chose to spoke it because god's power is released when he speaks and what's amazing and what's interesting is of all the things that god created that were living and alive there was only one that he said was very good all the others were good one he said was very good because that thing that he made was made in his very own image. So he made man in his own image. In the image of God, he made them, male and female, he made them. So we are made in the image of God. That is what gives us value. That's why we can go hunt animals for food, but we can't hunt people. That would be murder because why? Why is it wrong to murder? Because people have value as image bearers, made, made in the image of God right? Why is abortion evil? Because it's an image bearer in the womb, right? So 
We can take this so much farther, though, because there's so many aspects of who we are that's different as spiritual beings than every other animal, every animal that's ever been created. We're different, we're unique as image bearers. And one of the things that is equally unique about us is that we, like God, speak words. And when we speak words, those words, to a degree, have creative power. We are, in a sense, God is partnering with us, co-creating with him. Now, we're not God, all right? We are operating as image bearers and needing God and needing his word and needing his life in our heart to speak life and to create life. But nonetheless, it's through our words. We see Jesus operating in this all the time. Jesus, remember I talked about last week, uh, Jairus, his daughter, uh, was sick. Jesus says, Jairus says, Jesus, come on, we're going to my house. You're going to heal my daughter. Jesus says, all right, let's go. Leaves the crowd in need on the way there. The woman with the issue of blood gets healed. Uh, remember what she was saying? If I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. She's speaking, she's speaking. Bam, lays hold of it. On the way there, the people come and say, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your, your daughter's dead. Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Keep believing. And I'm presuming he said, okay. I believe. Let's go. Let's keep going. Well, he gets there, and of course, Jairus' daughter's dead. Nobody gets to go in except Peter. I think Andrew, James, and John got to go in there with Jesus. Uh, everybody had to get out because they're all like mourning and too much unbelief around there. So gets everybody else out. Parents, a few close disciples. How bad would it be to be one of the disciples that got to hang out outside? That's a bit rough. Sorry, boys. I'm just going to take these guys in. That's savage. Um, anyway, that was Jesus. His choice. Um, but what did Jesus say? How was Jairus' daughter raised from the dead? Jesus speaks to her. Little girl, I say to you, arise. She got up. She was alive. Jesus released words. We see this again in, in Mark 11, and this is a bit of a story uh, a bit of a, an object lesson Jesus gives to the disciples. They're walking along. They're on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is hungry, and so he sees this fig tree that has leaves on it, and he walks over to get some uh, figs off of it because he expected some figs, and there were no figs on there, and Jesus was a little upset by that, and he thought, I'm going to use this as an, as an object lesson. I'm not only going to teach my disciples faith from this, but I'm also going to use this as an illustration of what's about to happen to the nation of Israel. And so uh, he curses the fig tree. He says, fig tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And then he just keeps walking. I'm sure this, I was like, Jesus wasn't too happy about those figs, you know? So they're walking to Jerusalem. They go, and this is where uh, Jesus clears out the, uh, one of the times he clears out the temple from the, the people selling stuff in the temple. They're walking back out of Jerusalem back to, I think, Bethany. And on the way by, Peter is like, whoa, there's that fig tree, Jesus, that you cursed. It's dead. It had already died within that particular time because Jesus had cursed it. Now, it's interesting what Jesus says. He doesn't say, yeah, because I'm the son of God and I have power in my words. 
No, no, he begins to use it as an object lesson of how they are to live by faith. And we see that, we see it right here, because right after that in Mark eleven twenty two, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. So what's Jesus saying? How did this happen? Because I have faith in God and I release something out of my mouth. Truly, I say to you, whoever, what's that word? Says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. In other words, what I just did, you can do also. Jesus is modeling something for them. Release your faith through what you say. You have power in your words. You have power to bless. You have power to curse. Be careful. He's saying if you have a mountain of opposition in your life, if there's something that is in the way, there's a time to not just pray and ask God for help. There's a time to do what? Speak to the mountain. What did Jesus say to do? Say to this mountain. Speak to what's in the way, what you want to get out of the way. Just so you know, I'm not making this up. There's one more, Mark chapter four. Jesus does this again, all right? He's teaching faith all day. This is in Mark four. There's like the, the, the story of the, the parable of the, the sower, talking about faith, talking about the power of the word, power of words all day. And then they get into the boat and Jesus says, let us go to the other side. He just, all right, let's go. <laughs> so they get in the boat. They start going to the other side of the lake. And this huge storm comes up, wind. Now, it was, these are fishermen. They're used to some waves. Must have been really bad because they're freaking out. They're, going, they're losing it. They're, they're, they're like, we're going to die. And they're upset because Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. And they run to Jesus, and they shake him, wake, it up, wake him up. Jesus, how can you be sleeping? We're all about to die. And what does Jesus do? He, he doesn't pray to the Father. He stands up in the middle of the boat, and what does he do? He speaks to the storm. He says, peace be still. And it all stops instantly, done. Calm, water's calm, everything's stopped. And then Jesus says, again, I cannot believe, after all I've been teaching you today, that you still have no faith. In other words, Jesus, you, you think they did the right thing. Hey, we came to you for help, Jesus. We came, you're, you're the Lord, we came to you for help. Jesus is saying, no, no, you actually didn't do, the right, didn't do the right thing. I had already said we're going to the other side. He's rebuking them for having little faith because they come to him to fix a problem. In other words, the only thing I can deduce from that is Jesus was showing them what he actually wanted them to do, stand up, knowing what the word of God was, the will of God was. Hey, if they would have stood up and said, hey, Storm, Jesus said we're going to the other side, stop it now. It would have stopped. How do we know that? Because, I mean, even Peter was able to overcome, like, the laws of physics by walking on water. Jesus was not the only one who walked on water. Peter also walked on water. Now he got his eyes off the Lord and, but man, the brother walked on water. Can we, can we show some love to Peter for walking on water? That's some faith. We're all here in this room today because 
there was a word released in 2019. Pastor Coy stands up and says, we're planting a church. We're planting a Numa church in Perth. You know, the vision that's in the heart has to be released out of our mouths. It's one thing to, to sit and pray and ask God to provide the money that we need for a resource, but there's another love saying, we are gonna receive a miracle offering. God is gonna provide for us through the seed of the offering of his people. I think one of the most significant lessons for me in this Liz and I had not been married for very long and we'd had planned this trip to go back to England. I had never met her family. Her family couldn't, some of her family couldn't come over for the wedding. And because of, we had applied for Olivia's permanent residency, she wasn't able to leave the country. We were living in the States at the time. And so we had to apply for this permit that took six weeks to get this permit. And we had, I think, seven weeks until we were gonna travel. And um, this was the only kind of window of time that we could go on this trip. And so we booked the flight in faith. We believe, okay, this is God's will for us to go on this trip. We're gonna book this, these flights in faith. We gotta book them now or else we're gonna lose the fare. We gotta, we gotta do it now. So we apply for this permit. Two weeks goes by, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. We're getting pretty nervous at this point, right? Now we had this friend at church who was one of these newsreaders. Everybody knew her personality, you know, in, around town. And so Lives was sharing with her the situation and she happened to bump into that same day or the next day covering a tornado story. <laughs> Ran into the governor of the state. Now, I think it was one, it was a senator, state senator, uh, national, like federal senator in that state. And she sees this guy and says, hey, I have a friend who's having some immigration issues, needs some help. Can I give you the details and you help out? He said, sure, happy to. She called in a favor with the senator. So gave the guy Olivia's details. We get a call from the senator's office. And he says, his name was Mark. I still remember the guy's name, Mark. Mark Winslow was his name, that's it. And he, he, we're talking to him. He's, he's doing everything he can to help us. He's communicating. He has like, like the problem with the U.S. immigration, you have an 800 number, right? And it's like a recording, or you might get someone who really can't help you, who's reading off of a script. But he has the number to the actual people. And so he's calling them, and he's trying to make it happen. And we're getting down to, this is... Uh, uh, it's Thursday, I think it is, and we leave on the next Monday, the flight leaves. And we knew this is God's will for us to go. We had spoken it, we declared it, we'd been interceding and praying. And so I get a call from Mark and he says, mate, I'm sorry, we've done everything we possibly can I'm not going to be able to get this in time. They just said there's no way. And so there was nothing I could say. I just, okay, thank you for your help. Hung up the phone. And so it was this moment. You ever have a moment when like, okay, you believed and you prayed and you knew, and then you get the bad news. 
I imagine it was, I mean, obviously at the extreme, that's what it was like for Jairus, right? Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. Jesus turns to him and says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Keep believing. And I, I thought of that verse in that moment. And we had a conversation. I said, Lives, what are we going to do? Are we going to keep believing or are we going to give up? Like, is this it? Did we miss it? Or are we going to keep standing? And so we prayed a prayer and I released the word out of my mouth. I said, in the name of Jesus, we will get this travel permit in time and we will be on that plane on Monday afternoon in Jesus' name. That was it. So the next day, I'm going to do a Bible study at Vanderbilt University with some uni students. And I had this thought, Livia's grandmother was sick and not well, she wasn't doing, she was old, you know, maybe she wasn't doing great, right? And so I had this idea, I think the Holy Spirit dropped this into me. And so I had this thought, I said, I called up Mark, I said, I said, mate, I got one. He's like, oh, it's you again. Like, I did not tell you yesterday, this is, this is over. I said, hey, can you call them one more time? Just, just humor me. Just call them one more time and say, um, Olivia's grandmother is not well, and this may be the last time we get to see her. Maybe the last time we get to see her. <laughs> he said, all right, they've already told me. And he, he was kind of like, I don't know if I really want to do this, but I'm going to, all right, I'll do it. So I'm going in, I'm in the middle of the Bible study. I'm like, sorry, boys, I got to take this call. It was Mark. He says, he says, quick, can you give me your credit card detail? You're never going to believe this. I do not know what's happened, but they've said, if I'll give them the credit card details right now, they'll overnight it and they'll have it to you by Monday. It wouldn't come on the weekend because they don't deliver on the weekend in America, but it'll come on Monday. And so I'm like, come on. So I gave him the credit card details. I call Olivia. It was the most exciting moment because we had spoken it. And it came Monday morning, talking about 11th hour. It shows up Monday morning. We're on the plane Monday afternoon, travel permit, going to UK and Victory. Had an awesome time with the family. But there's moments where we have to release the word out of our mouth. When we've believed, we've stood, we've got to make a declaration of faith. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. 
you can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.